0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. That's it. I'm done. You ever said that? You ever reached a point in a conversation with someone, maybe at work, or with a friend, or with a spouse, or with a parent, the child, even with someone at church, that's it, I'm done. Maybe you walked out of the room actively or just inside, you were like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. There's all kinds of reasons why we might come to that point in a place, in a conversation. Um, Our responses to that are based on our personality, our weaknesses, our family backgrounds, Um, We're going to actually talk about next week about how all that works itself out sometimes. But the fact is, perhaps we've all come to that place um, in some kind of a relationship where we just throw up our hands and say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I don't know where else to go anymore. I don't want to have this conflict anymore. I don't want to keep cycling around. I don't know how to do this anymore. Or I'm not even going to have the conversation. I don't even know where to begin, so I'm not going to bring it up. Or I'm not going to reply anymore. I'm gonna drop that thread, I'm gonna ghost that person. And maybe it's just to do, when we say I'm done, we just mean with the conversation itself, like that issue, I'm done talking about this, I don't know what else to say, I can't figure it out, too confusing, too frustrating, too hurtful. Or maybe I'm done with that person for today and we walk out of the room or we're not gonna to talk to them for a week or we're hoping to avoid them for the next month. Maybe when we say I'm done, we mean that permanently with a marriage with a friend or group of friends, with a family member or extended family member, or maybe with a church, a faith community, and we leave. Maybe we actively leave, maybe we actively do something about it, or it's on the inside and we go ahead and build a wall that is invisible to everyone else, but we know we've chosen to put it there. I think this is a common experience for all of us in some shape or form where we feel like, I'm done because this conversation isn't or won't produce anything good or anything healthy. Like nothing good is coming out of this. Nothing good can come out of this. All that's being produced by this is hurt, frustration, anger, misunderstanding, conflict, division, fracture, whatever. It's a common thing in some shape or form. We've all come to this point. We're in a series that we're calling Two Ears, One Mouth, The Anatomy of healthy conversation because we realize that for a lot of us in different ways in different times, many of us have experienced more likely than not unhealthy conversation in a particular area or perhaps in many areas of life. We said last week when we started this that there's lots of reasons why. I mean, I suppose that's always been true whenever human beings have been in relationships with anyone of any kind. Certainly when you read the scriptures, you find this is not a new problem. It's an old one. However, I said that there are uh, a few factors probably making it harder than ever or more common than ever that we have unhealthy conversations. Um, we talked about the impact of technology and stuff, but I think maybe the most profound point was to say that our models for how to have healthy conversation have failed us. Our models have failed us, and I mentioned that often in family, the families group we grew up in, maybe we didn't see conflict done well or healthy or in a gracious way. We saw anger hurt or resentment, silence or violence with words or actions and cutoffs and distances, and we don't talk to that family member anymore. Or somehow the patterns of dysfunctional relationship just got uh, effortlessly passed on from generation to generation. Unfortunately, the family models of how to have healthy conversation have failed us. And not know what, uh, knowing what we don't want, as I say to many couples when we do premarital counseling, we talk about family background, knowing what we don't want is not a blueprint for what we do want or how to get there. The, the model of families failed us, but so we can say the model of politics or the, the, the public discourse. It seems like every person, every candidate, every platform, every party builds its identity on 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 the backs of or the crit- critique of somebody else who's in power or used to be in power or what that other person is doing it is a politics of division where the sound bites and quotes are all, well, I wouldn't have done it that way and I can't believe they did that. And no word of empathy or, or relation uh, relating to someone else's experience. experience at all. It's a politics of division. And in fact, our media is the same. It's interesting that hip hop has become the most popular genre of music in the world. And I think that, I'm just saying, I don't know statistically whether, it seems like it's it's not a marginal form of music anymore. It dominates culture. And I think in part, it's so powerful because it's words or it's preaching set to beats, right? It's it's prose uh, more often than not, it's speeches. And, and so it has power and it has power to do good. And, and it, But a lot of the music and the hip hop is actually a chance to take a strip off somebody else or someone's identity saying, this person never believed in me or I don't care what they say about me. Or sometimes, uh, you know, rappers actively criticizing each other by name in their songs or veiled references. There's a lot of conflict that's actually represented even in the music genre but also in the media, let's be honest, let's not just pick on hip hop. I mean, any any drama we binge watch, it's not, Let I me mean, long gone are the days of Little House in the Prairie. It was about how families had good conversation and how towns and communities work through problems to solve them together. No, what do we binge watch? We binge watch dysfunctional, unhealthy conversations, right? In businesses, in families, in mafia families, in homes, wherever it is, this is what our media is, our media is not showing us a model of how to have healthy conversations. And then, sadly, even in the church, Christians, pastors, church communities, denominations, YouTube is full of churches and pastors who are criticizing other movements, other theology, other people based on ideas that are different than them, or people on YouTube just sort of, uh, you know, defining what they think by criticizing other people. This, these, unfortunately, these are the models that we are most. Um, uh, influenced by and immersed in. And so we just need different models for how to do this. And then the, part of the purpose of this series is not just to help you and me in our interpersonal dynamics of where we might feel like I'm done, right? And which we can all maybe relate to, but my heart my desire. And as, as a staff team and as a board, we talked about like how do we become a community, the church um, and and our role in it as the church capital C, but also our local church here at the well, how do we become a place of where, where healing and healthy conversations can happen, where we know how to do conflict well, where we learn how to wrestle through issues together without quickly hitting the eject button, without quickly, you know, hitting the exit door. How do we become a place where we can grow in our sense and empathy of understanding and listening to one another? And how do we become a a refuge for people who are experiencing cutoffs or dysfunctional conversation in families, in workplaces, in schools, in friendship circles, um, in their faith context to actually be a place where this is a place of healing, refuge, and safety and wholeness where we learn how to do this well together. That is our heart. Now, the series title, Two Ears, One Mouth, is taken from a quote that is attributed to a Greek philosopher many hundreds of years ago who said, we have two ears and one mouth and we should learn to use them proportionally. Now, we can say, oh, that means we're, this is about listening, like learning to go, mm-hmm, I hear you, okay, so I think if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is, oh, the tactics of listening, okay, fine, but that's actually not the starting point. The starting point is not about how to get better at listening to each other. The starting point, actually, for all of this, which I can say, is I think it's off the radar for many people, and in fact, for many Jesus followers which is stunning when we're actually going to read what this is about. I would certainly say for me, for, for several decades of my life, it was off the radar as it needing to be the necessary starting point. In all of this, as we learn to say, okay, when we're tempted or we're at the point where we feel like I'm done, or when we're in, a, in, a, in a dealing with a, a, a situation, a conflict, a conversation, in our work, in our homes, with our friends, with spouses or children, or even in the church community, what is the starting point to get healthy? conversation, healing conversation. Well, we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture that Jesus, where Jesus, probably the longest conversation he had with his inner circle, with his closest friends, this inner circle was going to become basically the first church. And he was he was having this conversation in part, not, not only the three years he had spent with them, but these final words, kind of the night before he died. Um, As he was launching this movement with them, they didn't know this, so they wrote it down later. Remember he said this? Remember he said that? This was going to help them as they planted um, the first community of Jesus followers that then became a worldwide movement, of which we now, as our community of Jesus followers, is a part of 2,000 years later. And we get to sit in on this conversation with Jesus and his inner circle that was recorded for us in one of biographies, that actually in it tells us the starting point for healthy conversation. So let's listen together. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. Friends, when we get to this point of saying, I'm done, I can't do this anymore, I don't have any more words. Everything I'm doing (laughs) is not working. I don't even know how to begin this. I don't know where to go from here. I don't think I can reply. I don't think I can engage anymore. I don't think I can stay in this. I don't know what to do with this person. This conversation, this issue, or maybe even this relationship is done. Jesus' response to us (laughs) is that we feel like that kind of statement is the end. According to Jesus, I'm done is the beginning. It's the beginning of a new way of thinking and a new way of relating. Where do I get that from? Well, here in this passage in John 15, in in this uh, conversation Jesus has with his disciples, he says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, you, you are meant to bear fruit in your lives. And this idea of fruit is actually probably the best description of what it means for the Jesus life to show up in us, where we become something alive and vital beautiful and life-giving to the world he's talking about in general and all of their lives but we can take this for our purposes around the conversations about how do we have a healthy conversation how do our conversations produce fruit how do they produce something other than anger hurt frustration despair hopelessness and fracture how do they produce something beautiful fruitful and life-giving jesus said, well the starting point is apart from me you can do nothing When we get to that point where we say, I'm done, I don't have it, I can't do this alone, I don't have what it takes, I don't have the physical energy, emotional energy, I don't seem to have the ability or the words, I keep messing this up, I don't have it, I'm done, Jesus says, great, <laughs> now I can work with that. <laughs> we feel like that's the end when we're saying, this is done, I'm done, there's no hope for this, and Jesus is like, yeah, that's the beginning, now we can work. Are you done with you? I'm ready to take over. Apart from me, he says, you cannot bear fruit. And I think that's the starting point to realize what feels like the end for us. And I just, this was on my heart for those of you that are listening today that I felt like I'm done. I'm in that place where I, I don't know how to have this particular conversation anymore. I don't, I don't feel like, um, like every time we get into this issue, it's a stalemate or we're stuck or we keep running in circles or it ends up in more hurt. And I'm so tired of being hurt or causing hurt. I'm so tired of the frustration. I don't know where to begin where we feel that's the end, I want you to hear Jesus saying, okay, if you've come to the end of yourself and you're ready to say, Jesus, I can't do this. That's where I say, you're right. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We say, okay, great. Like, is that, is that what, that's okay. Like, this is not, you know, this is, this is good. This is, uh, apart from me, can do nothing. Is that uh, the end of ourselves? Like, you know, um, when we say I'm done, but is this just like, okay, great, let go and let God, or uh, Jesus can't, but you can. I mean, that'll preach really well. Jesus can't, but you can Like, how do we do this? Okay, it's one thing to get to this point where we're saying, realizing, okay, I'm done. is not the end, but it's actually the beginning, that Jesus can actually help us. But he actually goes on in here to say, okay, how do I do this, right? Um, he says, apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. And then he goes on to explain what does it mean for us to try to do this, not apart from him, but with him as we, he says, remain in me, stay connected to me as I stay connected to you. Don't do this without me. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more in the rest of the passage. And he says something so profound here. He says, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is what it means, amongst many things, to be friends of God. This was Jesus' inner circle, but this is how we are called friends as well. As his followers, we are his friends. He says, you know what it means to be my friend? I have made known to you my Father's ideas, plans, and hopes, and purposes. I have let you in on this to actually help you so that you can bear fruit. In other words, everything I've taught you is from God. I am here as your friend to help you. That's why you need to say, okay, I can't do this myself. Jesus, I need you to take over. Okay, well, how do I do that? I reveal to you. He says, everything that my father has made known to me, that word, that idea of made known is like revelation, to see things you don't see, to understand God and the heart of God and God's views and God's ways and to hear God's words. And in fact, earlier on, he says, my words need to remain in you. And he's not talking about the word of God, like the, the Bible, so to speak, um, in that passage, although these things reveal the heart and the words of God. But that word, that, that, um, the word is rhema, it means actually a timely word, as in, as my voice is remaining in you, my speaking, or a word at the right time in the right moment, <laughs> This is actually us saying, okay, Jesus, I need you to speak to me. And Jesus says, yeah, you're my friend. I will. If you let me take over, if you let me into this conversation, if you let me into this situation, I have words for you. I have ideas for you. I have plans for you. He says, I have made known God's plans and words to you just to say God has ideas and dreams and plans and purposes for your relationships with your friends, for your relationships at work, for your relationships with your spouse, for your relationships with your son or your daughter or grandparent, for your relationships in the church. God has plans and purposes and dreams and ideas about them. We need to hear his plans and purposes. And Jesus says, yeah, when you come to this point where you say, I can't do this anymore, I give up. I don't know. I don't have the words or my words aren't healthy or helping or we keep getting stuck or I don't even know how to begin this. That is actually not the end. That's not despair. That's hope because that is the beginning when you let me in because I have words for you. Not only everything that the father has taught me, but I have words for you in the moment at the right time when you need it for each situation. Which is really great news because if you read the biographies of Jesus, we find that Jesus was a master of healthy and healing conversations. (laughs) Jesus had a way with words. The the biblical accounts, the biographies describe him, his words, as being um, gracious and compelling. That he taught with wisdom. Wisdom is is like knowledge or understanding applied in the right way at the right time that brings about something good. It's not just about information or smarts. Wisdom is about the right things at the right time in the right way that produce something good and beautiful. Jesus was often, uh, the crowds remarked on how wonderful or powerful or wise his teaching was. He was compelling, but he wasn't manipulative. Neither was he easily manipulated. He would not let others manipulate him in a conversation or with speech or try to trick him, but he was very humble. He was powerful and strong in his words, but gracious and inviting and forgiving. His words brought about understanding, wholeness, life and healing. Friends, this is good news that Jesus says, "I, my words can remain in you. My words are given to you. My whole purpose is to reveal what God wants and sees to you in your life, real time. This is good news. What we think is the end, our admonition of despair or quitting or frustration, I'm done, is actually the beginning for a whole new way of having healthy and healing conversations in our lives. When Jesus' words and his purposes and plans become become a part of our life, our heart, our mind, and our words, that is the beginning. I want you to listen to one person's story of Jesus doing this for them even when they weren't asking for it, even when they weren't looking for it, and how it produced something beautiful and life-giving for them. Just have a listen.
1: So in January of 2022, I was halfway through a year-long Bible reading plan, and I noticed the devotionals were really locking in on reconciliation and forgiveness. Two subjects, if I can be honest, which are not my favorite because I, I struggle with them. Anyway, Nikki Gumbel is narrating and is just drilling these words into what seems like every other devotional, tying both words into what seemed like every Bible reading. And right then and there, I knew something was up. Someone was trying to tell me something. And even when I wasn't engaged in the plan, throughout my day, my mind or inner voice was repeating the words, forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. To be honest, at first it was annoying, but I prayed and just waited. Then sometime in the early spring of 2022, Pastor Vijay sent me a text asking if I would read an anonymous testimony from one of our church family members, which would be tied into a future Sunday sermon. The testimony told of a story of a son who had a very rocky relationship with his father, somewhat of an abusive one, a relationship filled with resentment, hate, disappointment, sadness, you name it. Ultimately, the son found it in his heart to forgive his father. And although they were never the best of friends and everything wasn't peaches and cream, the son felt a massive weight lifted off his shoulder and uh, he had this completely new and revitalized outlook on life crazy thing is, is that this anonymous testimony mirrored my relationship with my father to a T. He and I have a very strained relationship starting from my early teen years. And at that point, it had been five years since we spoke to each other last. Once I finished reading the testimony, I recall looking up and out loud, I said, okay, okay, I get it. I understand what you want me to do that same day. During lunch, I immediately messaged uh, Pastor Vijay, asking him if he purposely chose me to read this testimony as some kind of cathartic cleansing, considering Vijay knows pretty much everything about my past. He responded to the message almost immediately and assured me that he did not even put it together on how close this testimony would hit home. Cool, cool. So I, I wrote him back, and that's when I told him everything I had been experiencing through the reading plan in regards to the word forgiveness. He was quite amazed and said the same thing I already was aware of. This, Len, is the Lord speaking to you. I knew I had to take action. So the whole week, I was thinking of how I was going to approach this direct message that the Lord was challenging me with. I had made up my mind and I decided that I would call my father on the weekend. Yeah, I really had to psych myself up for this, and I waited until Sunday afternoon. I remember, it was was a beautiful day. And I looked at my phone, and I dialed my father's number. And he picked up and couldn't believe his ears when he heard my voice. The conversation was quick, and I simply told him that I forgave him, that I no longer held resentment towards him, that I wasn't angry with him anymore. He thanked me for calling him, telling me that he was waiting for this day for a long time. And that was that we said goodbye. And when I hung up the phone, I could feel it. I could feel this weight, this pressure immediately being lifted up from off me. It changed my whole demeanor that day. I soon realized that this was yet another time where the Lord had spoken to me. Only this time I responded back to him. It hit me then that I had a straight up conversation with the Lord. It it was amazing. The story gets way better the next day was a Monday and I was back to work and I was teaching a grade 12 world issues class and towards the end of the TED talk we were watching the young man delivering the TED talk very strangely took a left turn in his discussion and commented on how holding resentment and not being able to forgive has crippling effects and how forgiving someone is way more therapeutic for the forgiver than the one being forgiven here it was again. The Lord was still speaking to me. He wasn't quite done with me yet. And something came over me, and my, and my heart was beating quite fast. I felt the urge to share what had just happened to me in those weeks and months prior with the rest of the class. And, and that's what I did. One student, a self-defined atheist, stayed behind after class and told me my story really spoke to her. She, too, had a strained relationship with her mother, and they were not on speaking terms. She said that my story inspired her and she became overwhelmed with emotion, stating that she had been feeling something tugging on her heart, telling her that she needs to forgive her mother. I remember her looking up with tear-filled eyes and she asked me, Sir, do you think that it could be God talking to me as well? I told her that there was no doubt in my mind that it was. The following day, this same student came running to me, huge smile on her face as she said, Sir, I did it. I I actually did it. I spoke with my mom. We're good now. Thank you so much. Boy, I I needed a moment. I I ran to the faculty washroom, got down on my knees, and, and just thanked the Lord for this entire experience. This same student is no longer an atheist. She has since approached me wanting to know how she could begin a relationship with Jesus. She has now completed Alpha for Teens with Nikki Gumble, and attends a church.
0: My friends, if it's true, if it's true that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We cannot produce something good or something good that will last in these conversations that we need him to actually produce something fruitful, life-giving, healthy, and healing in our conversations if that's true, and if it's also true that he has, has come to us to give us the words and the wisdom and the plans and purposes of God for all of our relationships, and that he does that through his Holy Spirit in us in real time when we need it, I think the big implication of the question is, am I making space in my life for Jesus to speak? am I making space in my life to hear Jesus, right? If it's true that I can't do anything on my own, that I need him to take over and take the lead, and that he has words and ideas and plans and purposes and things of God to reveal to me about all of my relationship, if he's the one who's the master of conversation and can produce healing and healthy conversation, am I making space and time in my life to hear from him? And as I said to you earlier, I would say for me, for, for many, many years in my walk with Jesus, I wasn't. There were lots of things I was doing to try to grow in my faith and worship and all that kind of stuff, but listening to him, inviting him real time into the day-to-day relationships and conversations of my life was something I didn't even know how to do. I didn't even know I could do. It's helped me over the last few years and um, you know, probably the better part of 10 years, maybe a little bit more, um, And along with you as a church, as we're learning how to do this, is like realizing the spiritual practices in our lives that we talk about, that we encourage each other to engage in, 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 in worship and reading scripture and prayer and silence and solitude, a Sabbath day, one day a week, where we rest, being in community together. All of these things are actually in part to help us bring the presence and word this thing that Jesus says is available to you as his friend for his words to actually create space for us to listen and hear that's what they're for um in part like to we use spiritual practices to examine or to invite Jesus to examine our angers and and our and our fear and our hurt I use a spiritual practice and some of you do um, as well called the daily examine. It's a, it's a several hundred year old practice from Ignatius that just invites Jesus to examine with us the strong emotions and, and, and experiences and feelings going on in our life of anger, of hurt, of fear, to help him uncover well why did that conversation upset me so much what am i so afraid of losing in this thing where is this place of anger coming from towards that person why did i feel so hurt in that those we think we know the answer to this we don't we just more more experience them as feelings we need to actually understand them and we have spiritual practices to invite right one one of the scriptures in the in the Psalms, psalm 139 says lord test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me It's inviting Jesus to examine the inner parts of our life. That's what we're doing in prayer and scripture is some of these tools. And then we use an, an app or we recommend an app called Reimagining the Examine. The prayer of examine is to examine our emotions and thoughts with Jesus to invite him real time into that. But we can also invite Jesus um, to help us uh, into the frustrating conversations that we're having—the ones where we feel like we're we keep hitting the wall. You know, the the the. Sometimes we say, "I'm done" because of the anger or the fear or the hurt. Sometimes we say, "I'm done" because we're like, "This is hopeless. I don't know what to do about this. I can't fix anything here. I can't make a difference here." And whether that may be like in, a, in an interpersonal relationship, or sometimes in the discourse that's going on in the world with major issues and big issues, perhaps in the church or in the culture, and we think, "Well, what's the point?" I can't do anything about this. Our, our hopelessness and our frustration is a place to actually invite Jesus in. Where we say, Jesus, I don't know what to do, <laughs> but I can't do anything apart from you. So what do you have to say to invite him in? I remember this in my own life. This was actually not only helping me like see what was going on in me, but actually direct me. When we first planted the church, I was a volunteer. Like many of you, I was um, leading the worship ministry and helped start this church. And, um, uh, the guy who started the church was our our planting our planting pastor was the youth pastor from the church we came to before, and he put a great team together, and we enjoyed working together. But at times he and I would butt heads, and I'm not telling tales out of school. We talk about this. We still have a good relationship. We don't get to talk to each other much anymore. We don't live in the same city, but uh, this was something we actually openly talked about. I was leading the worship ministry, but man, I had a lot of opinions about everything in the church. And I remember at one point he said to me in a meeting, "Why can't you stay in your lane?" Like it, we were frustrating each other, and we could see it. And he said to me, "Why can't you stay in your lane?" And In other words, why do you have so many opinions about this stuff? And I remember coming home and I was like, yeah, God, why can't I? And part of it was like, well, Vijay, because you're arrogant, you think you know the answer to everything and like you're, you know, you need to shut up sometimes. I'm like, okay, okay. Like that was a, like a personal thing he revealed about me. But I'll tell you, you know, the other thing that happened in that, that thing, that frustration, that seed, it was the beginning of me realizing God was calling me into church ministry. Why do I care so much? It was actually, it was, was, yes, a personal kind of sin thing that God needed to reveal in me. And like, why can't I stay in my lane? Why can't I keep my mouth shut? Why do I feel like I have to have my opinions known? But it was also a place of calling. And that same planting pastor a couple years in said to me, hey, what if God is calling you into this lead role, you know? And God bless him for not being so annoyed with me for all my frustrating things. But that in that conversation, it was actually a clue. It was actually calling. When I said, I can't do anything about this, Jesus' simple question was, well, yeah, why do you care so much about this? And he gave me a chance to say, because I love the church. I believe in the church. The church is where I found my life. It's where I found friendships. It's where I found my wife. It's where I understood who I was as my calling. It's where I fell in love with you, Jesus. I believe in it. And I know so many people are walking away from it. So many people have walked away from a Jesus they've never met because of the church. And my heart breaks over that. And he's like, huh. (laughs) So that's why you're frustrated. That was the seed of something as I invited Jesus into the frustrating conversations that I was having with others and that I was having with myself. Thirdly, we have spiritual practices like reading. We're doing daily reading right now. We're inviting you to read in the scriptural plan if you haven't signed on to the Bible reading plan for a year to do this together. But what is the point? The point is not for information, it's for encounter. And that is that daily reading allows Jesus, who calls himself the living word or the voice, to speak to us directly through the written word, the scripture. That's why we read it. Where Jesus, the living word, speaks directly to us through the written word. That's the whole point of reading. And so before you even do your daily readings, even for those of you that are doing something else or you've signed up for this uh, plan, before you start reading, say, Jesus, like put your relationships and your issues and the conflicts and the things that you say you're done about in front of him and say, I don't know what this has to do with what I'm gonna read today, but could you speak to me? And it may not happen every day, but the more, because you do it daily, you're giving Jesus a daily opportunity to speak. And then of course, that's why we gather weekly you're meant to hear the voice of Jesus speak to you. And in that story you heard, you know what happened as a part of a daily, of, a, of a, our weekly practice of celebration, as we serve, as we connect with each other, as we say yes to when someone asks us for something, or we're sitting and listening to a message, or we're singing, or we're talking with each other, we're praying for each other, being prayed for, which you can have a chance to do that today during the service, to be prayed for, to hear the voice of Jesus to you in your relationships. This is why we come, to let Jesus speak. Friends, that's what all these practices are for. It begins with when we say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And Jesus is like, you're right. Let's roll. (laughs) Now I'm ready. Now we can go. That's not the end. It's the beginning. And so my encouragement to you to sort of give you some practical ways to think about this (laughs) is I'm going to get in trouble for my mom for this one, I know. (laughs) Don't make an ask of yourself. Stop making an ask of yourself. (laughs) A-S-K. <laughs> um, by that, I mean, don't don't ask, well, what do I think? What should I do? What do I think is best? What do I need to say? I mean, that's that's dependence on self. Instead, we need to begin to ask Jesus. Jesus, what do you have to say? What do you think about this? Jesus, what do you see? What are your dreams and hopes and plans for this relationship that I'm struggling in, that I want to give up on? Jesus, what do you see? What do you say? What do you think? What do you want for this? And as I said, we need to do that on a daily basis. Like we regularly carve out time for that in daily reading and prayer because we need to give Jesus as many moments and opportunities as possible to speak, to pause, to take time to listen, not just pray with our words and not just read, but hear, to listen. And then also in the moment, before a conversation, during a conversation, after a conversation, before you go into a difficult conversation. I mean, maybe you should have done that on the way to, to a family gathering at Thanksgiving last weekend. You were like, thanks, this is a week too late. Don't worry, Christmas is coming. <laughs> on the way to dinner, on the way to that place that sometimes holds a little bit of conflict or frustration for you, invite Jesus in. Jesus, what do you say? What do you see? What, what do you think? What do you want for this relationship? Before an interaction, during, in the moment, you can quickly say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, give me the words. Jesus, I need a word right now right? When we're silent or before you write back on that text or before you fire back an email or before you clap back on social media, Jesus, what do you see? What do you say? What do you want for this issue, this relationship, this person? And then after, look, sometimes after, if it's gone bad, we just want to forget about it. We want to move on. We want to blame them. We want to write it off. We want to have the anger fantasy in our head, or we just want to distract ourselves and, you know, go for dinner or binge watch something because we don't want to think about what happened. No, after those hard conversations, after the things that haven't gone well, after the times when we've been reminded, I don't have this, I can't do this. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, what do you say? What do you think? What did you see? What did you notice in me, in them, in that room? Friends, we need to give Jesus the floor more. Because for you and I, instead of I'm done, meaning this is over, this is beyond repair, there's no hope here, this can't be fixed, If it's the beginning and not the end, then I'm done can actually mean, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for you to take the lead. I'm ready for you to show up in this conversation. I'm ready for your words to come out of my mouth instead of my words. I'm ready for your plans and your purposes and your dreams and your hopes and thoughts for this person, for this relationship, for this issue, for this church, for this marriage, for this family, for my group of friends, for my workplace. Jesus, I'm done and I'm ready for you.